Welcome, folks, to another edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Fresh content every Thursday right here on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. And, of course, on your favorite podcast platform, Google, Apple, Spotify, or otherwise, download, subscribe, rate, review, and share. Man, Jonesy, we are jammed this week, so not a whole lot of time for you and I to chat because we are going to jump right into it. And uh, credit to you. You're the one that hooked this up. I mean, Austin Mackey, has been grinding all year. He's been getting us fantastic guests, but he had to tap you on the shoulder and say, Jonesy, I know you've known Popeye Jones for a while. I, I know him just a little bit. You know him real well from going back to his day as a Toronto Raptor. And he has been grinding himself for three decades, for 30 years, trying to get that first title, and he finally has it as an assistant coach with the Denver Nuggets, and of course on Thursday, a big part of the parade as well, celebrating in Denver, and he joins us on the line right now. Again, NBA champion, Popeye Jones. Popeye, uh, something that no one can take away from you, you are an NBA champion. Um, kind of, and we've been through it, Eric and I, at a different level, but kind of describe the feeling when the buzzer goes off and you realize this is, this is the end of the road, and we are the ones at the top of the mountain. I think for, for me, and I know maybe a lot of people have different emotions or different feelings, first of all, it was really surreal. And then I think second of all, you flash back to uh, your, not only your coaching career, but your, your, your playing career and all the injuries and uh, all the hard work. Uh, you know, it's almost been 30 years when we talk about playing and coaching. And uh, this is my my first one, and you just you flash back to all the places you've lived, all the late nights as a coach, and it all just kind of hits you really, really, really heavy. Um, you know, for me, uh, everybody, I, I, like I said, reacts different. For me, it was tears of joy, tears of accomplishment, and uh, still on cloud nine right now. Hey, Popeye, to that point, and listen, if it's a private moment that you don't care to share, I totally respect that, but there were a lot of clips going around. A lot of people saw the embrace that you had with Jokic right at the end of the game in, in the heat of the moment with the confetti coming down. And other than, other than maybe the words, thank you, I wasn't able to read lips otherwise. Can you maybe give us a, a little sense of just the, that, that moment itself and, and that, that, that brief time you shared with Jokic in, as I say, the heat of the, the celebration? I can, Eric. You know, it's, uh, because of the emotions, I couldn't say much. So you heard all I said was just thank you. You know, thank you, thank you again. It's something that I've been chasing for uh, almost 30 years. And uh, the, to see his performance, as you guys know, the whole team, but him as the leader, to see his performance throughout these playoffs was to, be, to have a seat on the sideline to watch it and to watch teams try to stop him and throw different defenses at him was just so impressive what he did during this the whole run of the playoffs. It's most impressive thing, and I've been watching basketball for a long time, and I know you guys have too, and to be there to see that, that, that run through the playoffs is just incredible. Uh, Pop, before I, before I get to some other stuff, I, I guess Michael Malone, playing psychologist, talked about, you know, on the podium, uh, you know, we're not stopping at one. Uh, he didn't go as far as three, four, five like LeBron, but he kind of <laughs> threw it out there that, you know what, we, we want to do this again. And the fact that you you just missed them in Dallas, right, when they won the championship, you had just 
kind of yeah. uh, missed them in Dallas. But but you look at what championships teams go through the next year. Like we've had five different champions in the last five years. You know, Golden State, Toronto, uh, the Lakers in the bubble, Milwaukee. Like it just it just every year now you, you guys are, are in that group. It just seems like it changes every year. When Michael Malone saying that, have you actually thought, hey, man, how are we going to do this again? You know, Jonesy, I haven't had time to think about that yet, but uh, I know that, you know, that That's is good. in the card. That's good. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm really enjoying this one right now, but uh, I know the guys will, you know, as we know, summer's already started. You guys been through this. Uh, our guys will get a little rest, and, you know, they're going to get back at it. You know, our, our starting five is coming back. Uh, we got some young guys on the bench that uh, that uh, that we're developing, and uh, I think we're in a good place. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, with having a totally healthy Jamal to start the season, I think that that right there is going to have a different outlook on us as well. Uh, I think we can get off to a fast start, but right now, uh, I'm not thinking about it. Uh, but eventually, like you said, it'll come a time then when you when you will start thinking about. Uh, you know, let's get everybody, you know, motivated and, and to do this again. And it's funny you said that too, Jonesy, because of all the people that I've come across who've won multiple championships, from Sam Cassell that I worked with in Philly to coaching Danny Green, who, as you know, has won three titles. They all said the same thing, and I feel it too, that when you do it once, you're just – you want to do it again. And it, and, and they're, they're absolutely right. Yeah. I do feel that way. You want that feeling again. Uh uh, and, and you're you're willing to go through uh, the pain, the heartache of, of of not reaching it, to 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 be able to do it again. You're you're willing to 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 do all the hard things that it took to get the first one. Popeye, I, as I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm I'm going through what's going on in my brain, I'm not even sure what the question is. I guess it's more of a statement. But I think about you. And I, I know you a little bit, not as well as Jonesy does, and, and I think about the, even what you just talked about, the 30 years in playing and coaching, and I think about a guy that's, that's come up through the ranks as a player, come up through the ranks as a coach, but yet at the same time has made some money in his career, has had a good life, has a son who's a professional athlete. you got so many things to be blessed with and, and to be happy about, but yet you were chasing that one thing that you couldn't get or that you didn't yet have, and now you've got it. And And... I guess it maybe speaks to Jonesy's point as well. Is immediately you think like, I want more, or I want the next one. But have you had that <laughs> right. moment to truly just sit back and and I know it's been a whirlwind these last forty eight, seventy two hours. But have you had a chance yet yeah. to just sit back and and kind of you know step back from thirty thousand feet and go, holy blank, like this has finally happened. You know, um, Eric, I haven't had a chance to yet. Like I said, it's still kind of surreal. Uh, I, like I said earlier, I think all the emotions that I'm having that I had after the win and what I'm still having is, you know, talk about the, you know, not being drafted in the second round, going to Italy and playing for my first year, coming back, coming back from the, coming back from there and, uh, you know, going to the Mavs and then coming up to you guys uh, with your expansion and, and doing those things uh, is what I'm thinking about. All those things that's happened in my playing career the, the three knee surgeries, those are the things that I'm thinking about now. And, uh, you know, being a journeyman in the NBA and, and playing on all different teams and coaching, you know, uh, different teams from going to New Jersey and coaching uh, the Nets before they moved to Brooklyn and things of that nature is kind of all my thoughts are, 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 are 
that's where they're at right now. Pop, you you use the right word because, like I said, at a different level, when Eric and I experienced it, it was it was almost hard to believe, and, and surreal is a good word. But have you had a chance to talk to your your sons? Have you had a chance to kind of share some of it with family? I know you know the guys are uh, you know they their their hockey careers are are still front and center, but I know they're watching yeah. dad and they're proud of you. Have you had a chance to talk with them and share some of it with them? Yes, I have. And I think the biggest lesson that, that I've tried to share with them is uh, looking at it from a team perspective because we know they're both uh, playing with the Blackhawks and they're in a rebuild. So I'm pumped that they got the number one pick uh, in Bedard, but uh, hopefully they draft Bedard. <laughs> but uh, uh, I just talked to them about the like the team, like how the team was together and uh, how the vets from DeAndre Jordan and is Smith and Jeff Green, how they led in the locker room and how like everybody was all in. Uh, there was no egos uh, from from one through 17, you know, counting the two two-way guys. And I just talked to them more about uh, what it's going to take to win a Stanley Cup and how everybody in that locker room has to buy in and everybody has to be pulling the same way. Popeye, it's interesting to hear you listen to that because it was just a couple of days ago that the Raptors celebrated their four-year anniversary of their championship back in 2019. And, and as Jonesy's referenced a couple of times, you know, we can live a little bit vicariously as broadcasters from our experience. But I think of the Raptors team and the Nuggets team. And yes, the Raptors had that, that quote-unquote superstar in Kawhi Leonard, but as the Denver Nuggets mm-hmm. do with Jokic, but other than that, it was also good pieces, all-star pieces mixed with role players, mixed with a deep bench, mixed with veteran players. You really do think about the balance that it takes and the different formula. And I don't know if we're now tapping into something in the NBA because we've now seen five different championships in five straight years in this league. And that to me is speaking to what hopefully is then the parity that exists as opposed to the dynasty era that the NBA was stuck in for so long, where it only seemed like it was a couple of teams that were only ever winning the title. It seems like it's up for grabs now if you know how to build and play and coach properly in the right way. I agree with you. I think that you're right. I think so much talent in this league and so many good teams, but you're absolutely right. If you can build it the right way, and again, I haven't mentioned Coach Malone, he was fantastic during the not only the, the regular season, but during the playoffs and keeping the guys motivated, keeping them uh, in the moment, you know, uh, having them prepared for each game. And as his assistants, uh, you know, making sure that we're delivering that ma- message to the team. And again, I said it. And then the vets are also delivering the same message. And I think that, you know, if you can do that, the way the league has gone and the talent, like you said, and the parody that, uh, it's not easy to, to, to repeat, you know, a lot, there's a lot of hunger out there. You know, we know that the disappointment of Milwaukee this year, we know, you know, they'll be ready. We know LeBron is going to be chasing it still. Um, but, you know, and there's good young teams like Memphis out there. Uh, but I think that, you know, the way this team was built, you know, obviously uh, with, with Joker and then Jamal and coach being here eight years, I think that you've looked at it over the years. And I think you guys know that, I've always said that you can't buy championships, you know, with, with super teams and things. And I've always said that, and, and I still believe that's true. Even though you look at the Golden State Dynasty, that team was built. You know, obviously they had a Durant, 
who who came there and got one. But with with, with Steph and Draymond and Clay and those guys, those guys started young and and they built that team and and uh, they were all connected and they're all on the same page. Popeye, when did you start to see things kind of come together? Because late in the season, you guys came to Toronto and. Toronto gave you all all you could handle in Denver, uh, and then they beat you here, and you and I had a few moments after the game before you hustled to the plane, and, and we talked, and I said, man, I love the way your team is built offensively, but, I mean, you have some good defenders, but it's, it's, not, it's not quite there yet, and Eric knows. I've been vocal and worried about, you know, Jokic as a defender, and you guys made it look easy, you, like you really did. I mean, sweet... <laughs> What, you know, it's, eight and one in the last nine games, <laughs> Pop. I mean, right. and that's you know that's that's something that you don't do that all on offense. So so where did it start to come together defensively? Well, I think that obviously you know we all everybody says okay, how was championship? How how were past championship teams built? You know what did they have? What did they have offensively? What did they have defensively? And as you're saying, one of the knocks on on Joker was that he's not a rim protector, and all championship teams have had one. But I tell you, during this whole playoff run, if you look back at our defense, we're top five in defense, his hands was incredible. Uh, Maybe he's not blocking shots at the rim, but the strips that he was getting in the paint, the way uh, Jamal continued to get healthy, the way he picked up his defensive intensity uh, when the playoffs started, and we knew what KCP and Bruce was going to bring, and even Michael Porter, who – uh, everybody talks about is is a poor defender, but the way he worked and gave effort, and that's all you ever ask. Uh, I think the guys understood, and again, those vets in the locker room, from DJ to Jeff to Ish, was telling them, if we really want to win a championship, we're, yes, we're great offensively. We were number one offensively in the playoffs, but we have to do it on the defensive end, and we have to get stops. That message was coming first from Coach Malone down to our assistant coaches, and then filtering through to the locker room, through our vets, who was, uh, you know, filtering that information to the guys on the court. And, you know, I think Jimmy Butler said it in the interview uh, during the finals. He said, Joker is an underrated defender, and I totally agree with him. Totally. He's, he's a lot like you guys at Gasol up there. He's, he's big. He, he can get in front of the rim. He's always in the, in the right position. And as you guys know, he's smart. He understands what the offense is trying to trying to get uh he he knows every he knew every set that uh, every playoff team that we played he knew every play that they were running Papa, i'd be remiss if i didn't ask you about jamal murray i know you've touched on him briefly a couple of times um but not just his path and his journey to come back from you know a horrific injury a couple of different injuries um but even also the the canadiana you're an honorary canadian you forever will be for your time uh, with the raptors as well and he's so much a part Thank of you, this Eric. This yeah, no, you're you're welcome, and I and I and I mean it. Um, but he's a, a part of this era that is helping grow the game and build the game, and we're starting to see the fruits of that with so many Canadians coming into the league. So, just the importance of him on your team, the run he had throughout the postseason, uh, but also just his journey as a, as a Canadian, as a as a guy that's carrying the torch for the game in Denver and in his home country. Well, Eric, first of all, I'd like to say that you know, being uh, playing up in Toronto. Uh, like in the expansion days, second year of existence, I've seen, as as you guys have as well, the growth of the game, uh, the NBA game 
in in Canada, and we see that with the influx of uh, the amount of NBA players that that have come into the league. Uh, as the Raptors did a ter- terrific job of building hoops in neighborhoods and really promoting the game uh, throughout Canada. But Jamal, uh, it's funny because I had gone through that injury too in '97, and you know, I, when I got here, I told him, "Hey, you're going to have good days and bad days, but just keep pushing forward. Some some t- some days you're going to feel like I'm ready." And the next day, you're going to be like, oh, I'm not ready. And his work ethic and him to to just keep working toward uh, getting back to 100%, we knew that. I think Joker earlier in the season or at the beginning of the season made a comment that Jamal's not going to be any good for two months. Uh, but that's what that injury is. People say, okay, you're totally healthy. You're ready to go. But you're not you're not totally healthy in terms of your confidence to go on the court and play and i thought i started to see him turn the corner within about it was probably after about two 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 and a half months when he started playing both ends of the floor and that's when you know i was like oh i went to him and told him okay i see you're feeling better because i thought he was spending a lot of energy at the beginning of your own offense trying to find his offense and not worried about defense because he was trying to find his rhythm and get his offensive game back. And and the big shot, and I don't remember the, the exact dates, guys, but he made a game winner in Portland. Uh, uh, and that's when I saw that he was really turning the corner as well with his offensive game and his confidence. And 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 you know, Coach Coach Malone, they they knew who he was. They had all all the comp- the other coaching staff because I wasn't here. Um, before Jamal got hurt. They had all the confidence in the world, and Coach kept telling him, you're going to be fine, you're going to be fine, and everybody else was telling him that. And uh, what a terrific playoff run for him as well. And I know the, the whole country of Canada is proud that, that, that you know, he's a Canadian. Pop, uh, it, it's funny, our, our, our producer, Austin Mackey, who's, uh, you know, the, the head of this shebang, we got talking off the air, and, he, he needs to know you're an honorary Canadian, too. Like you said, I remember, I told him the story, I remember coming home from a, uh, a game in the second year of the team, a big win in Washington over the, well, they were the Bullets at that time with Chris Weber, and they had Jawan Howard, and it was a huge win. You, you, had, a, you had a St. Damon, and we landed, and we got to, off the plane, and, and it was like the, the, the boys were there, and you said, hey, did you see us beat the Bullets? And they was like, no, Dad, we was watching Hockey Night in Canada, so... <laughs> That right then, right then and there, I knew I knew that I knew that the Canadian roots had settled with your boys. I I I, I remember them really getting into hockey and 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 loving that. So um, you know, as Eric says, we 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 claim you as an honorary Canadian man. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, Jones, and you're absolutely right. As much as I try to, to stir them toward the, the the basketball court, but they kept pulling me to to the hockey rink. Like, Dad, can we go skate with our friends and play? <laughs> I was like, what about the basketball court? No, we don't want to do that. But, no, as a dad, as you guys know, I'm super proud of both of them, Seth and Caleb. Um, again, you know, uh, a struggle in Chicago. Obviously, you guys know with the Blackhawks, but they're looking uh, looking for bigger and brighter things uh, with that franchise. We know the history of that franchise and, and uh, it's a winning franchise, and I think that they'll be fine if, if they'll get that fixed there and they'll be winning again. Again, that was NBA champion, Denver Nuggets assistant coach, former Toronto Raptor, Popeye Jones. And Jonesy, again, I know you've known him a long time, a heck of a lot better than I do. You just, uh, you know, as a, as a friend, 
but it, let alone as a as a you know a basketball hoop head, a guy that's a lifer in the game, you got to feel good for Popeye Jones. For for sure, Eric, you do. I mean, like like you said off the top, the guy's been grinding. Uh, you know, you heard him talk about it in the interview, the knee surgeries, the stuff he's gone through. Uh, just, uh, you know, you got to feel good for good people when when good things happen to them. And, you know, as you heard in the interview, texted him right after. And uh, people can actually look at the, uh, if they haven't uh, looked at it, they can actually see one of the pictures that he sent us, sent me, that we got permission to use for the podcast. But I'm thrilled for him, and uh, you know, like Jamal, he's he's tied to Canada, and that's a great thing. Well, we're gonna keep the the Canada theme going, I suppose, right now as well, uh, because we're gonna, well, as we speak, hook up with a former member of the Canadian men's national team, and he has worn the uh, red and white at a lot of different levels over the years for Canada, and one of the greatest shooters in the history of the game from this country, and he's played overseas. He's played here in Canada as well, and he continues to try and bring the game to the youth in this country, coach the game to the youth in this country as well. And uh, we're pleased to bring in to the conversation and onto the show, Carl English. Carl, good to talk to you as always. And, and I want to tap into your, uh, your memory, your knowledge, your expertise of one of your former teammates, a guy you know very well. And, and we were just talking to former Raptor and current Denver assistant coach, now NBA champion Popeye Jones. And he was giving us uh, his view, his insights on his star point guard, Jamal Murray. And, Carl, I'll ask you what you see from up close, let alone from a distance, his progression, his maturation as a player from the time that you first saw him put on that jersey, from the time you played alongside him playing for Canada to where he is now as an NBA champ. I think the biggest thing for Jamal was, you know, I, I had a chance to meet him, I believe it was when he was 17, 18 years old. And, I mean, this was for Pan Am Games. And when these guys come into gym, you know, you're young and we say young and dumb. And, you know, I won't finish the rest of the same. But when you come in there and you got this silly swag about you until you get on the court and then they realize, oh, you know, you're playing against some pros. And on that team, there was some NBA guys. There was high-level Europe on that team. And Jamal came in there and he didn't miss a beat. You know, he had that swagger about him. He had that grit. He had that confidence as an 18-year-old kid, which was very special. I remember looking at the coaches. I remember talking to Jay about him, and I was like, you know, he, he's got it. But a lot of times people say, oh, that kid's got it, but what are you comparing it to? You're comparing it to, you know, someone's there. But when I say he's got it, I'm comparing it to, you know, from a player standpoint of playing against pros. The big thing is, is, you know, when you're in these moments, you know, you got so much pressure on you and not a lot of people can perform and it takes a long time in your career to perform when the lights are on, you know, under the big stage. But the thing I loved about about Jamal did them was he was ready he was ready to go and he wanted that moment and then I wanna say he put forty on the US at that time when everybody was like, Okay, you know, he didn't he didn't stop. You know, so you're coming into your first national tournament like that with you know, a lot of a lot of pros on the team, and you didn't defer. A lot of times, I found myself I was ten years playing overseas at the highest level, and then I was starting to defer to some of these guys. And I was like, "Hold on now, you know." But when you're coming in as an 18 year old kid, and you're not deferring to anybody, you got something special. So I thought I was fortunate enough to see it at a very young age, work ethic, everything you needed to be something special. And I think 
I think the story about Jamal is his perseverance because the funny thing about, uh, I'll call it American media, is they had the kid written off. You know, he, he blew out his knee, and, you know, even right up until the finals, I felt Denver wasn't getting the love that they should have. When they played the Lakers, all people talked about was LeBron. I mean, I knew it was going to be a sweep, right? It's just they were a team, like Malone had them, you know, playing as a team. They played this style that, you know, you couldn't guard, basically. So they had no they had no they had no answers to any of these these things that they were doing. So the big part of the big part of all that was, you know, uh, how are you going to stop this team and then they finally gave Jamal and his teammates some love coming into the final. So it's great to see. I mean, he's a hell of a, a hell of a family. He's a hell of a worker, you know, and but my biggest thing was is at an early age you could see something really special with him. Carl, do you think how much do you think Jamal's style? I mean, obviously, well, but when you think about it, him um, and and the way he he works with Jokic and Mike Malone, who had a stint with Canada basketball as well. You look at what we used to call the European game, the international game. Like you know, the big guy, come on, get down on the block. Well, you don't. We don't play like that anymore. And how much do you think that is going to continue? to influence the NBA because I'm sure when you played overseas, that was more of the, the kind of style that you played as opposed to the NBA game that was different. And now it's look, looks like it's been brought to North America. Well, I think the biggest part about that is it's, it's a team game. You know what right. I mean? Like for so long, right. we've watched these super teams come together and the super team is, you know, they got the best players in the world. So, they find ways to win, but when you're watching the game, for me personally, because I played over in Europe, when it's all about structure, it's all about style, it's all about, you know, team, whereas NBA is very individual. So, you know, when you watch the Denver Nuggets, like I was having this argument, uh, I love having these arguments with my friends. I, I say you don't know what you're talking about because they don't. So, like, when you're watching Denver, tell me what Miami's, going to scout for Denver like how are you stopping Denver Nuggets now if you're guarding the Lakers okay you shut down one to two guys you take away a few pick and rolls here or there and you have a great plan to go into that how are you stopping Denver Nuggets you got Jokic who's MVP player but you know he plays both sides of the court but you got a 6'10 7 foot guy that leads the break pass first now you got all your role players and shooters then you got a star in Jamal Murray who can take all the big shots Again, gives up for his teammates. They all trust each other. You got Michael. Paul. They got so many options there, but that's a European game where they all play together. They all buy into the system. They all believe in each other. Whereas I'm not seeing that with the other teams right now. So this culture of building a super team, I'm a big fan of building a team, and and that's what Mike Malone done there. And I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but that's how I'd I'd break it down. Carl, let me jump on that point just getting away from even Jamal Murray in Denver specifically. I'm just talking generalities here. You, what you're just talking about, building the right team and the right mix and the right chemistry and cohesion, and then you also said in your previous answer, just knowing from a young age, being able to tap into or notice a player that has it. You coach kids now. You coach youth at various levels at various ages. What is it that you see 
Like, as a player, as a coach, what is it that you see or that you kind of get that itch for, that little feeling in your mind and your body where you say, that boy, that girl has it, or that person, that player has it as far as the chemistry that I'd be looking for in a team, in a unit, somebody that can, that, that can contribute to a winning program? I think the first thing you're looking for is the gym rat. You're looking for the kid that's willing to work all day. You know, I, boys, you guys know my story. Like, if you came to Newfoundland and I showed you where I grew up, there's no chance in hell I should have ever got off that street and played basketball at any type of level. You know, I grew up in a town with 25 people. I made a homemade hoop. I played on a road with cars going back and forth every two to three minutes. One side was a 30-foot drop where you chase the ball. The other side would go into water. You're right on the Atlantic Ocean when in Newfoundland it's 70% of the days are windy. So, you know, so I should not be a shooter, first and foremost. But, you know, because I feel, after reflecting and writing a book on it, I, I feel basketball was my way out. So I just did it every day, all day. Like, people talk about overtraining. There's a difference between, so I have a son here now who's pretty good. So I'll train him X mount, but then there's times when he wants to go to the gym, and I'm like, okay, go to the gym on your own and play for the love, play for what you feel is going to help make you better rather than a coach yelling and screaming at you all day to go do things. That's the difference between what's going to make a young player good or great. So that's the first thing I look at. I'm looking for the gym rats. I'm looking for the consistency. I'm looking for the kids that doesn't, that's always paying attention to everything you're saying, that's always eager to learn, and then they're, then they're obviously coachable. You know, and I think that's what makes a lot of these players. So you look at Steve Nash, like, how does Steve Nash go on, go down, in my opinion, as one of the greatest point guards ever? But if you know anything about Steve and his work ethic and his regiment, it's the same thing with the greats of Kobe and all these guys. It's about the work ethic, the, the strive for greatness, the, the, the wanting to be great. You know, I had more people tell me I'm going to fail. I failed more than I succeeded. But I just kept going and going. So what I try to teach here at my academy is I want to teach them to love the sport first. So once you love doing something, you're going to deal with the failure. You're going to deal with the the loss and the getting cut because you love doing that game. Now, because you love it, when you get cut or when you fail, then you'll get back on the court and work harder. They're the type of kids I want to be around, you know, and that's when you're talking about Jamal, it'd be the same thing. So here we have Jamal just came off major surgery right was at his peak playing amazing basketball was killing at every single at every single uh facet of his game and then had blew out his knee at, at a horrible time but he came back stronger he came back with that same confidence so that takes a special person that takes a special you know belief in yourself so i believe that's taught at a very young age and now you take that to, to mike malone and his main stars are these two guys that are different upbringings for different parts of the world. You know, I'm sure Yoki's upbringing wasn't the same. I'm sure the way he's the way he's fluctuated, he's all team, team, team. You see how bonded he is with his family at every game. You see now that he'll go back to Serbia. He's not flash. He's not about to change. Like, it's a different mentality, and it's easy to build a team around those guys. You know what I mean? It's easy to build. I remember in college, and Steve Nash showed up to one of my practices. And he's just there in sweats, and nobody could believe that that's Steve Nash. You know, there, there's certain people that is great to build a team around because you know they're going to put team before themselves. And I think that's what Mike Malone has done. When you take your best players, and then just even then when he came, when he coached us with Team Canada, you knew he was 
fully committed, fully bought in. Like he was the little things that he was doing. You were like, okay, this is this is going to help us get over the hump, right? So I think all those pieces together is what makes a kid special, is what makes a coach special, and then in turn you bring all that into team, and that's basically what was taught in Europe all the time. It was always the team first. Carl, that's exactly where I was going. It seems like with the advent of the AAU system in in North America, the individual stuff is being stressed more, whereas – over in over in Europe, never in Europe, just the international game, they, yes. they, there, there seems to be a focus on playing together more. How do we get back to that in, in the NBA? I mean, I look at a team like Miami. Uh, yeah, they had Jimmy Butler, but they played together. You know, they, they we did. hear this heat culture, and but they played for each other. It was obvious Denver did too. How do we get that back in, in North America, Carl? And I know people like you, you're starting with the kids, but... I, I joke with Eric all the time. He says, Jonesy, why don't you go back and coach? I said, because they couldn't handle me. I'd strangle them because yeah. like some of the stuff the kids do now, if you did that back in your day, Carl English would be pasted to the bench. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, and that's <laughs> the difference. That's the thing, and, and that's what I find. Now, luckily, I'm here in Newfoundland, and a lot of people, they know who I am, and they know my story, so you can't really tell me my philosophy is wrong. Right, so I'm I'm lucky to that standpoint right now, and I have full bought in from the majority. I would say 99% of my parents, especially on my elite teams. So I think I can instill, like I've I've been fortunate. I've had some great coaches, you know, from Riley Wallace at Hawaii, and all the way up to Dennis Johnson, you know, from Jay to Mike Malone. Like I can go on, and then in Europe, guys that you guys wouldn't even know, but they're they're guys there that. You know, for instance, when I was in Seville, we had this crazy defense, so I thought. But then Eto Mesida used to come and scout our defense because our goal was to keep teams under 13 points a quarter. And then the way we ran and jumped and trapped out of it was like was pretty crazy. And then we had Dusko Ivanovic, who's a famous European coach. But, you know, we won because we practiced so hard and then guys got injured and they returned at the right time. But the type of the mentality and what he put me through mentally, like he could not break me, you know what I mean? And I was just like, he broke half the team, but he just could not break me because of where I come from and what I believed in. But their idea was just team. It was all strictly team and they had their way of doing it. And how could you, how could you go against it when here's a 55 year old man and we're running 10 K in the morning before three a days and he's running it with us. We come in 35 minutes later than us, but then we go watch video. So, like, how can you fault when they're out doing it with you? So some of the methods are crazy. I think to answer the majority of your question, we're at a very difficult time where social media era and the era of being really cool is what's popular. You know, and, and I try to not, you know, for me it's difficult because that's what's in front of them. The knowledge is right there on their fingertips. Whereas we had to search for that knowledge, you know, like I'm looking at things out of a magazine and I'm trying to implement that to my game. Whereas now all these training videos, I think they need to use the tools that are in front of them, but then it depends who you're following. Are you going to do crazy moves that you're never going to use in the game? That's a potential travel every time. Or are you going to watch the real people and study the real people and then try to put that into your game? So I think we need more of that. I mean, I went up to I went up to a U16 tryout last year with Canada, and I was there, and I was with Meeks, and I was like, you know, he's like, Hattie, what do you think? I said, Meeks, I said, the talent's unbelievable, but the yeah. kids don't know how to play basketball. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? And he looked at me all funny. I was like, there's no such thing as an extra pass. There's no such thing as a quick outlet. There's no such thing as, you know, encouraging and being happy for your teammate's success. Like, I think that's what makes a team, and that's what I'm doing here. I'm, I don't have the most talent here in Newfoundland, but we'll be a hell of a team, and we're able to play with these top teams around the country because, you know, we're a team. We play defense. We play together. You know, but ultimately, you know, it's hard because we don't have the six, six, nine athletic guys, which will eventually you'll hit a wall. But ultimately, I think team goes a lot further. And, and there's been NCA teams that always have success, but they don't have the best players. You know, so the, there's something to be said for it. And then it's, it's funny that you brought up the Miami Heat because it's very similar. They were an eight seed, you know, yeah. and not a yeah. lot of stars. Yes, Jimmy had an amazing conference final but at the end of the day like a lot of role players a lot of buy-in a lot of scouting like you know a team and it's funny that the two best teams not the best talent the best teams made it to the final so it's it's something to be said for it and i said that as well about the raptors that time the raptors were always even under Dwayne casey a lot of role players but they were a team you know what i mean and happy for each other's success you didn't know who was going to score 20 that night you didn't know who was who was going to hit the shots, but it was based on if you were open on the skip pass, that was the guy that was going to knock down the shots. And it was it was great for basketball. And how do we get back there, Jonesy? That's the key, I guess. Yeah. yeah sure Carl, we, uh, we appreciate the time and the insight today, man. And, and before we let you go, uh, I know you mentioned the book. I know it's been out a, a couple of years. I've read it. It's fantastic. But, hey, it's Father's Day weekend, man. So anybody looking for a late gift, you want to get in a little plug for the book, maybe you can let folks know uh, a little bit about the book or where they can get it. Uh, to me, Chasing the Dream was, was just my whole story. I, I put it off when I hit Hawaii. I was uh, they wanted they wanted me to do a book and a movie, but I was just this really shy kid that was kind of I just never really believed in what I could be, I guess. And I turned all that down, and then I played all around the world, as you guys know. And then I came back to Newfoundland, and there was a lot of there was a lot of success, and there was a lot of uh, following all across Canada when we played. So I decided to do it, and I thought it helped me. I mean, we come from a time when, you know, you didn't see psychologists, you didn't do, you know, you didn't speak to people really about your feelings. So I thought the book would be something that, you know, would relieve some of this stuff that was I was dealing with. But ultimately, it was one of the toughest things I ever did because I had to I had to basically tell my whole life story. But there was a lot of failure. There was a lot of heartache. There was a lot of, you know what I mean, mistakes that you know, probably could have changed my trajectory in my life from, you know, where I play basketball to. So I had to put all that out into words there so Blake could, you know, ultimately write the book. So it was extremely tough to do. I remember going to bed after he transcribed for five, six hours, and I was just, it was like I played four games of basketball. I was totally white. But, yeah, it's an honest book. It's uh, it's something there that's an easy read for everybody. I think there's a lot more outside the NBA that people don't understand, the living you can make, money you can make, the life you can have. Um, I think the world is, is your oyster if you believe in yourself and you work for it. And that's basically, it's a, it's the triumph of, you know, just, just starting from nothing and exceeding the unimpossible basically. But yeah, no, I'm just coaching kids and trying to give back as much as I can. And basketball has always been my thing. So I'm always around it. So it's, it's pretty amazing. Hey Carl, time for the, Hey, time for, Time for the movie, and Eric and I want bit parts in the movie. That's all I'll say. <laughs> There's a process. You know what I mean? It's not too far away, to be honest with you. Let's see what happens. I know they're talking. There's a script being done as we speak, and we'll see if there's any interest out there. 
I don't know. I still don't believe any of these things can be possible. But at the end of the day, there's a story there. There's, yep. there's, there's people all around this world that, you know, I always say everybody has their own hood. And everybody's different. Upbringing is different. It doesn't necessarily mean you're down in Jane Finch. You know, everybody has their struggles. I, I, I'm a type of person that I never judge people. I never know what that person's going through at that day. So if I can pick them up or I can do anything to help them, that's how I always look at people. I don't care if you got five cents or five million. I judge you the same and I treat you with the same respect. And, you know, for me, that's what life is about is how you treat people. So that that's the big message with all of this. So it's, it's pretty amazing. So you never know what could come out of it. Carl, thanks so much for this, man. Uh, enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the summer. And we'll look forward to speaking again soon. Awesome, guys. You guys have a wonderful day, and keep doing your thing. I love watching and listening. Always great chatting with Carl English and Jones. You brought it up at the end. That's now two movies that we, we are trying to angle ourselves for. Like, I don't know if Bob Delaney's ever going to get us into his movie, if that one gets made, but maybe we got a better shot with Carl. I don't know. I don't know. But we, we've got, like, a budding career hey, kind of hey, man, on I'm, the side if we ever get our shot, right? I, I'm just trying to have us a little side hustle, E. Like, you know, that's, that's one of the things now. Be – be multi-talented and, and, you know, have an extra income stream. I mean, I don't know if it's going to pay us a lot, but got to have a side hustle, E. I'm looking for it, man. I'm looking for it. You know, I, I, whatever it takes. Just what did, what did Rashid Wall say? CTC, man, cut the check. All right, folks, we're going we're gonna to cut, cut away check. for a moment cut right here. Check. Exactly. We're going to cut away for a quick commercial break. When we come back, we will shift our attention from the champs and Jamal Murray to the Toronto Raptors and their new bench boss that is all up next on Smith and Jones. Welcome back to Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Again, make sure you are subscribed to Smith and Jones uh, on whatever podcast platform you listen, Google, Apple, Spotify, or otherwise. You can, of course, find us, download, subscribe, rate, review, and share as we continue on the program this week with, well, uh, a new bench boss for the Toronto Raptors, 10th in franchise history, and Darko Ryakovich was introduced to the Toronto media and fans a little bit earlier this week. And for more on Darko, we are pleased to bring into the conversation right now the longtime radio play-by-play voice of the Memphis Grizzlies, Eric Hasseltine. Eric, it was a little bit earlier in the week that Darko Ryakovich was introduced to the uh, Toronto media and crowd. I mean, a few hundred people out there for the coaches um, press conference introducing him to the city of Toronto and uh, other than you know just what we hear word of mouth and maybe a few conversations we've had over the years I know I don't I, I can speak for myself Jonesy I don't know about you I didn't know the man uh, personally don't know a ton about him other than again as I say Eric a few of these conversations that you've had over the years but you've had kind of a bird's sure. eye view for at least a couple of seasons what are your impressions of him as a as a man let alone as a coach and what the Raptors now have in their 10th head coach in franchise history? Just, well, first of all, I'm very happy for him because I know this is what he has worked for his entire career. I mean, this this guy went to, basically went to college to be a basketball coach in Serbia. Um, studied sports management, coached in the G League, has coached national teams. Um, I've always liked him. He's got a very uh, even keel demeanor. Um, he, he stepped in and coached the Grizzlies a couple of times. Um, obviously during all the COVID stuff, when, when Taylor Jenkins wasn't available, he was there. And so I had a chance to interview him before games. And um, he's got that mindset of he, he is one track mind in terms of its basketball. Um, I've 
known him outside the game a little bit and you know seeing him with his family it's great and uh, what what tells me a lot about who he is is any city we go play in as a as an organization if there is a Serbian player there or you know someone with a connection to that they they immediately seek him out they seek him out they meet him in the hotel they see him at the game and there's an immense amount of respect from the Serbian players towards coach and um, I think he's earned that. I, I think players at this level, as you guys know, can recognize when someone is full of you-know-what and when someone knows what they're talking about. And I think our players realized very quickly he knew what he was talking about. Um, you know, We were fortunate with this group um, up until this hiring to have basically kept our uh, coaching staff under Taylor Jenkins intact. And you know, when you talk to Taylor about Coach Ryakovic, it's nothing but glowing praise and how lucky they are to have him and that it, this isn't going to last very long. There's a couple of guys on the staff that you just go, okay, these guys are not going to be here for four and five years. They're just, they're going to get an opportunity because they're too good at what they're doing. And so happy to see it for, for coach. And um, I think the Toronto fans are going to like him. Um, obviously there's some questions going in and I'm not trying to be negative towards the Raptors. I, I, I love that organization. I love that city. Jonesy, as you know, I tell you every time how much I love coming up there. And when we go second night of a back-to-back, <laughs> it, it drives me insane because I just enjoy being there and being in that atmosphere. The fans love the game. Um, but you got to have a roster that can compete with some of these teams that now have multiple star players. And so that will determine it. I think if this organization gives him a chance to work what he believes in into the mix and gives him the roster that can make that successful, then they'll be happy with, with him as a, as a coach. It's always tough um, when you hire a coach, who, no matter who it could be. You know, I, I think Dave Yeager is a brilliant basketball mind, but he's gotten into some situations that are tough, and Lionel Hollins did the same. So guys that we've seen here in Memphis. So I, if they give the, the – if they work on the same level and get the roster where he thinks he can work with it, he'll, he'll be just fine. No doubt. Eric, um, listen, we know everybody's got, as a coach, you've got a whole book full of plays and they work better when you have better personnel, but coaching is about, it's about leading people too. And at the NBA level, it's about leading men. Um, What have you seen in terms of the way dark Darko relates to the players? I mean, here you have this Serbian-born guy, and 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 I heard that he did a lot of great work with Desmond Bain, with Jaron Jackson yeah. Jr. How how does he relate so well to you know the young African American kids? Heck, we're here and we have trouble relating to those guys and their language <laughs> and 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 everything that's right. you know going on in social media. But Darko seems to have that down. How how does he do that and and do you see him, obviously, I, we would hope that you, you see him continuing to do that here in Toronto. Yeah, I think he, he just understands how to, to relay his message about the game to these guys because as much as, yeah, they have their own language and, you know, now at 50 years old, I don't relate to these guys like I once did when I first got started. I could understand some of the things they were talking about and going through and things that interested them and now I'm like yeah I got no idea you know when people ask me like hey do you hang out with the players I'm like no they, they really don't have me on speed dial because I wouldn't know what to say to them in a social setting because we just live in different you know parts of our lives so I think he's figured that out um, obviously the results with Desmond have been great 
uh, and he's turned into a guy that was a late first-round pick, the last pick of the first round, into a guy that has the potential to make an all-star game and maybe multiple the way he shoots the ball. Jaron took huge steps, as you mentioned, and really figured some things out, and that's a lot with not only Darko and but also Vitaly Potopinko, who's on the staff. And I think that was the one thing I always gathered from Darko was that he could he could have conversations with you guys when you would see them sitting on the sideline that they're, they're definitely you know in into the conversation and you know every player can look like that so it's it optically sometimes it's tough but hearing the things that he would say I, I we worked on this and we're talking about this and just talking about the game a little bit and passing you could tell he his message would get through and when your players found like the coaching staff and not just the head coach but the other coaches then the message is coming through when the players are talking about things that the coaching staff doesn't really preach or believe in, that's a little different. So I, I think he's just found a way, especially being a guy that like at a very young age in his teens was coaching basketball at a fairly high level and working with athletes, you know, he, he, no, did he play in the NBA? Not, not at all. And did he, was he a national player? Nope. I mean, he's five foot seven, five foot eight. This guy was, you know, what a lot of us face vertically challenged, but, he loves the game, and he studied the game to a point where you can make that message come across, but he, I think he respects the level that these guys are at. Having coached the Serbian national team and, and being around those high-level players and coaching in the G League, and I love guys that come through the G League because as I talked to a couple of our staff, and Taylor Jenkins did the same, that's a hard job because your ultimate goal is to get these guys to the next level. Your ultimate goal is to watch them get that call. In the same time frame, your ultimate goal is hindering your team from being super successful. You're paid to get wins. Well, here go my three best players getting called up to the league, but that's what his that's what the focus was. And there's a there's always the bigger goal intact. And I know when he took over, when Taylor was out, the team didn't miss a beat. And sometimes you'll see teams when the head coach isn't there, whether it be personal reasons, illness, suspension, take your pick. Coaches will miss games. And sometimes you can see teams look like they, you know, are, can't find, you know, the exit door without a map and other teams that don't miss a beat. And the Grizzlies didn't miss a beat when he was there. So I think that says a lot to him. I think he's the type of coach that is not going to be, hey, it's my way or no way. He's open to learning and open to hearing different ideas to maybe what he is presenting and, and implementing those. And um, I just, like I said, I, I was always amazed at calmness and, you know, during games, he never was rattled, even though he was coaching an NBA game for the first time. And, you know, as a head coach or taking over a team, it never looked like the moment was too big for him. And to me, that's a big, that's a big statement when you're thrust into a situation unexpectedly and you just don't miss a beat. That means you're ready. And so um, I've kind of expected this day at some point to come where someone would say, hey, this guy can, can do this. And um, you know, look, in a, in a city like Toronto, as you guys know, that has so many different, you know, types of uh, multicultural is what I'll say, like and people that are coming in and, and he's got a way to relate to players like international players do so well there because they can feel comfortable. And that's a big deal. And you know, that's different yeah. than than some cities. You know, Memphis is is, as you know, you know, Jonesy and other guys know about Memphis. It's it's a harder edge city. It's predominantly African-American. The fans are predominantly you know basketball savvy people and you know you got to come in and be able to relate to that and not never once did i hear who is this darko rayakovich guy why is he coaching everybody's like man we're lucky to have him so 
I think it says a lot about his understanding of the game and the way the game's played in today's NBA and, you know, what players are looking for. And the thing with any coach to me right now, and I think Darko will fit this, the game's supposed to be fun. We don't want yeah. to watch teams score 82 points and win 82-79 like we did in the mid-90s and guys tackling each other in the post. The game should be open, pace, space, move the ball. And you'll hear people sometimes complain they shoot too many threes. Okay, well, that, that may be accurate, and there may be times when – you wish a guy would take an open layup instead of an open three. But if you embrace that and teach through that, and rather than you know do what old coaches do, snap a clipboard over your knee and, and start dropping every four-letter bomb in America and, and Canada and, and the rest of the world and even making some up, um, you know the players will relate to you more if you allow them that freedom to make a mistake and learn from it. Eric, let me ask you this, and you've touched on it uh, maybe already a little bit here. Um, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Um, everything I've, I've read, uh, conversations I've had with some people, and, and even in listening to you, the, the, the one thing I keep hearing time and time again, and it's fantastic to hear, is the way that he relates to players, as you've been talking about, how detail-oriented he is, especially with young players. I don't mean to make this sound like a negative, but do you think there's any possibility or any potential um, uh, downside to a guy that's so detail-oriented with young players Will he be able to relate as well to the veteran player that maybe says, man, I already know. I, you know, I don't need to be taught, or I already have my way. I already do it this way. Could they be kind of turned off by his style? That's a great question. I mean, I would hope that the veteran player would be willing to listen to what he has to say, as even though you've been in the league however many years, 6, 7, 8, 10, 12, whatever, that you know that's your coach. And – you know, you gotta you gotta follow the game plan. You can't. This this is not a league of individuals. As we look at who won the title this year in Denver, and they play as a team, and they were one of the better teams I thought I saw all year. And you know, they they handed the Grizzlies their lunch twice in Denver. They they got beat here, but you know, they they move the basketball. They share the basketball. You know, as Taylor Jenkins says in the system here, everybody eats, veterans, young guys, everybody gets a shot to do what they're capable of doing. And I think veteran players can respect that. Now, in that respect, too, as you said, that veteran players still have a way of doing things and they've earned those stripes. But if you're going to be detrimental to the process, sometimes that's in on the player. And I think with any coach, the, the, the first thing you do is you, you sit down with your and I don't mean to disparage the guys that are not considered the best players on the roster, but you've got to have the best players in that locker room on your side. If you don't, it's not going to matter. And so you sit down with who you identify guys, your dogs, your guys that when we need to stop a run, this guy gets the ball, or this, this is the play we're running something, and if they take it away, is he willing to share that responsibility? The guys I've seen on the Toronto roster, and I, I think that you know, Coach Nurse did a heck of a job there, and obviously the championship spoke volumes, but – as we know, in this league, it's it's what's happening right now, and can the message get lost? Sure, it's unfortunate, but that's you know that getting in as a coach. So if you sit down, the guys you identify as the guys you want to build around and say, this is what we want, this is what your strengths are, this is where we need some improvement, this is what we're going to do, um, that message comes across. And I think for Darko, again, as much as he can relate to the young guys, he can relate to the veterans too. I mean, the two-time reigning MVP – or former reigning MVP before this year, and now the finals MVP, Nikola Jokic, every time we play Denver, he and Arco are sitting for an extended amount of time before the game talking and catching up. That's one of the best players in the world 
and he's listening to what they say, and, and they, they've worked together. So um, I think the, the biggest thing coaches maybe make a mistake with, in my opinion, and I'm, who am I to tell them what to do? Because all I do is watch the game and describe it on the radio. So who am I to, to give criticism? But from what I've seen is – especially with in our situation where we've had coaches come in and say, oh, well, I coached this guy and we did that. Well, that, these guys aren't that guy. There is no Nikola Jokic on the Raptors roster. There is no John Morant on that roster. There is no Jaron Jackson. There's the guys that you have. And so you, you find out what their, what their abilities to you know, fit your system as, as best they can and use them to your advantage. And I think Darko is smart enough to recognize that. You know, I've heard coaches go, well, I used to coach this guy and he did it this way and that's how we should do it. No, because that guy's a different guy than the guy you're talking to. And I think he's, without a doubt, smart enough to understand that. So if you're a veteran player and you hear a guy come in and say, okay, look, this is what I see in your game. This is where I see you fitting in. What are your thoughts? The what are your thoughts questions go a long way with, with veteran players. Tell me what you think. Tell me what you see. Tell me where you want this to go. Because what you want are guys at any level, young veteran on their way out to care, to care about the end result, to care about what the product on the court is. And I think he can get that out of guys. Eric, um, I guess for me it'll be what happens now with Memphis. I mean, there's, there's yeah. going to be some changes uh, somebody's got to fill Darko's spot. As you said, good people look for challenges. People recognize they're good. They move on. Uh, so there's a hole to fill in the coaching spot. Maybe you could just think, give me what Taylor Jenkins or what the Memphis front office might be looking for. But more importantly, the star player, John Morant, has, has got mm-hmm. himself in hot water again. Just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like you said, we don't, and Eric and I are the same way, we don't hang out with the players, but... You know, you see guys in a hotel lobby or you, you run yeah. into them here and there. I, I, he never struck me as a bad kid, John. Uh, maybe some bad decisions, but what do you think is, is coming down the road for him and who do you think they might bring in uh, in, in Darko's stead? Well, I, and I'm sure this happens to you as well, Jones. I will be happy when the decision is rendered, whatever it is, just because that way when I go to dinner, I don't get the, hey, what's going to happen from the NBA? I'm like, do I look like Adam Silver to you? I mean, I know that I, I mean, I, I know I'm, you know, in the league, but that's the commissioner and I don't know. They're not calling me and asking me my opinion. So it will give, and I think that they did it the right way, to be honest with you. They let the finals take the center stage. They let the Nuggets enjoy their time, and they'll make the announcement supposedly this week is what we keep hearing, and whether that's today, tomorrow, or early next week, very early, because they don't want to take the, the, the shine off the draft either. They want these guys to have their moment, and they've got to deal with this, and that's a tough spot to be in. But, you know, hey, look, to be honest with you, that's what those guys get paid to do in the front offices and in the commissioner's office. So, that decision obviously has an impact of what you look to do in the draft. How long is the, the penalty going to be? What's the time away? What does that do? How does that impact your free agency? They don't have a lot of free agents. They've got, you know, Dylan Brooks, the Canadian native, is basically seemingly not going to be a part of the moving forward future. And they've got other guys that are coming towards expiring contracts. Do they have trade value? Do you want to make them move and keep going? You're clearly building around Ja, and you're building around Jaron, who made his first All-Star appearance, and you're building around Desmond, who before he got hurt, um, really Desmond Bain was playing at an All-Star level. He was scoring 23, 24 a game. He was shooting in the you know 46% rate from three and around 50 from the you know from the field in 90. So he's pushing season, but then he hurts his toe, and it just never 
kind of got back to the, the highest of levels, and so he's had that worked on. So you know he's coming back healthy. The injury to Brandon Clark was massive. I mean, that was just a huge loss that night in Denver. On top of all the other things that happened, that got lost in the shuffle, and then losing Stephen Adams was huge. And so you got to figure out, is Stephen going to be right for the season? He is such an integral part of everything they do. The Lakers exploited that weakness in the middle and got a lot of second-chance opportunities in that first round. So I think they're going to look for some size in the offseason in case Stephen is out and because you don't expect to have Brandon Clark back before you know the All-Star break. Probably it could be the entire year with an Achilles rupture. You just don't know how they heal, and so they don't want to put a time frame on it. With that said, going out to get a coach – you got to find someone that can help the guys that continue the path that they're on because this system does work. They're exciting. They're fun. It's fun to play in it. The players love it. And you got to find a guy along those lines. And if you look at that coaching tree that Greg Popovich has created with Will Hardy and with Quinn Snyder and with Mike Budenholzer, who's you know obviously out in Milwaukee, but um, you know Taylor Jenkins and all these guys that there was a we played a game in Atlanta and. Um, I think it was Bob Rathburn who had been there when Taylor was there with Mike Budenholzer said, do you realize that every play, every coach on that staff that year is now a head coach or like in line to be one Darvin Ham, uh, Kenny, Kenny Atkinson, all these guys that were coaching under Mike Budenholzer. So I think there's plenty of candidates out there for him to get somebody he's familiar with that understands what they're doing and not miss a beat. And, you know, coaches, very uh, you know he's he's very open to hearing other op, uh, you know other opinions as well but i think he wants someone that's on the same page if he needs a guy to fill darko's shoes and darko's shoes were to work with this guy and that he's going to go the opposite of that so um as these staff you know decisions get shaped out that leaves you who is available to fill that void and they'll you know they'll they'll make their pick and um, you know, lead assistants these days, they're, they're not hurting to, to make a mortgage payment. Let's put it this way. It's a lucrative job. And um, it's a big step from the one chair over to the next to the right. But, you know, it's a job that everybody's gunning for. And so I, I think Taylor's going to look for someone that can develop into that and, and be what Darko was and not miss a beat. Now, again, the job thing makes a difference. They're fortunate to have Tyus Jones, who has been, you know, the top assist to turnover ratio guy since he's been here in Memphis, set the NBA record two seasons ago at over seven assists per turnover. And so he's had that steady hand, but you're losing some explosiveness on offense. And so can that void be picked up? Where do you go in the draft? To me, one of the biggest X factors for this group in the offseason, guys, is the development of Zaire Williams. As a rookie, he was playing meaningful minutes in the playoffs. He was playing terrific. There was a preseason game, the first one of the year for both the Bucks and the Grizzlies, and nobody started their starters. But they played the you know the guys towards the middle of the roster and down. And, and Zaire Williams that night in Milwaukee, I, I remember this vividly, was the best player on the court. He was doing anything he wanted to do. He looked terrific in summer league. Then he gets tendonitis in the knee, and it just didn't heal right. And when he came back, his confidence wavered, and he didn't make shots right away. And it kind of impacted him. He's got to take the step mentally forward to be the player they believe he can be and that he showed he could be when he was playing in that series against Golden State the year they won it a couple seasons ago and was making good plays as opposed to the guy who looked hesitant and tentative and it seemed to turn a corner towards the end but that's going to be on him too he's got all the skills he's got the size and length to maybe step into that that spot vacated by Dylan Brooks but if not then you got to look at that in the draft if the suspension is longer than you think you probably got to look at a backup point guard 
because they had Kennedy Chandler out of Tennessee. It didn't really work. They needed a big for the playoff run. They had to let Kennedy go. So you can't really go back and get him because you waived him. And so now you're paying him double. And I don't think that's what they want to do. Um, so they might look that route. Or is there a trade out there you can explore? So um, there's a lot of decisions. And I think it's the first year that this front office, since they took over, faced this kind of turmoil and, and uncertainty. Everything's kind of gone smoothly. When this group took over, we all saw it and saw how, you know, the, the talent was there. But we thought, okay, one, two years, you know, maybe three years, and then you're making the playoffs. You're taking that path that all good teams take. Well, it happened a lot faster for them. You know, that first year was the the COVID year, and they were in the eighth spot. And then they went to the bubble. Jaron got hurt. Tyus got hurt. They didn't get out of that and didn't get into the playoffs. And uh, welcome to Memphis Thunderstorms right there, by the way. Um, I step out of the lightning range. Yeah, it's like shotguns going off. Um, and then the next year, they get into the playoffs by beating Golden State in the play-in game and, and get beat 4-1 by Utah. Then they make the run to Golden State. And then this year was the thought, all right, you stay healthy, you can make a deep run. But it was a couple years ahead of schedule. Well, now they're back to, okay, we've got injuries. We've got uncertainty with the roster, with suspensions and you know, now we've got a coaching vacancy to fill. This is the toughest offseason that these guys have faced. And they've seemingly pushed just about every right button. Everybody's going to make a mistake here or there. And, you know, they've got their work cut out for them. But that group has been very cohesive, very open to different ideas and, and working as a collective unit rather than just Zach Kleiman making the ultimate decision. The team's, you know, president of basketball operations. He's open to hearing different ideas. And I think that's a – Huge benefit. Having a guy like Tayshawn Prince in there is a huge benefit. Having a guy like Rich Cho or Glenn Grunwald who have been in that seat, huge benefit. But it doesn't make it any easier. And, you know, it's funny to me when fans always go, well, why did they sign this guy? I said, I don't think they put a contract in front of him for seven figures thinking, boy, we sure hope this guy can't play. We sure hope this guy is going to go out and shoot 30%. We sure hope this guy is going to – turn it over, you know, on every other possession and, and not be a good player. They're thinking that guy. And, you know, those are the decisions you're held accountable for. And I think that this group has done a good job, but this will be a, a real a real big spotlight put on them by the league. The owner trusts in them, and that's a good thing. They know they have his, his trust and that his confidence is, is in them. So they can they can make those decisions. And if they don't turn out perfectly – how do you bounce back from that? Because the worst thing you can do is compound a bad decision by making another bad decision. And we've seen bad decisions here. And it's nothing against the previous regime, but, you know, the Chandler Parsons signing turned out to be a disaster. His knees weren't good, and you gave him a lot of money, and it kind of hamstrung the team. Previously, it was a Brian Cardinal trade where signing where they gave him more years than they probably needed to. The first year he was very productive, but after that, it became the contract became an albatross that the fans would just point to, well, Brian Cardinal's this, Brian Cardinal's that. Well, Brian Cardinal helped us get to the playoffs the first year, but then he got banged up. So you got to find the, you know, hopefully the needle in the haystack that, that takes it to the next step because that's the hardest thing to do. Um, and if they do that, you know, this team is good. They'll be very good in the West. But, you know, it's, again, the, the length of what the penalty is for Ja, the time of injury for Brandon, how is Steven Adams coming back this year after missing – basically everything since you know january last year um and and how are they ready to go when the when the ball gets tossed in the air in october because last i checked they're not going to wait for you to get your team right they're going to throw it up in the air whether you're there or not eric we appreciate the time 
Um, thanks for doing this and uh, for giving us all the detail you did. Enjoy the summer, and we'll speak again soon. Thanks, Eric. Look forward to it, guys. Take care of yourselves. Love that city, and uh, can't wait to uh, to be up there again very soon. And one. That was the radio play-by-play voice of the Memphis Grizzlies, Eric Hasseltine. Jonesy, I have not yet had a chance to meet uh, Darko. I know you briefly had a couple of encounters the other day at the press conference earlier in the week. You were kind of the uh, master of ceremonies, uh, bringing Darko and Masai Ujiri up onto the stage. It was such a gong show after the fact that, again, I did not have a chance to go uh, say hello to or even introduce myself to the coach. But you did. You had a couple of moments. What are your first impressions of him and, and, and this decision? The guys, as Eric said, he's a basketball nut. He really is. And, uh, you know, not only did he go to school once for basketball in Serbia, he had to do it again in Spain. And he's he's a talented guy, uh, a worldly, well-traveled guy, will be pretty well-adjusted when it comes to, you know, the, the whole cultural side. You know, we heard from Eric relating to players. Uh, you know, he's got a family himself, so... Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to see what he can do. He's obviously big in development, and you want a guy, if that development pays its, it, the fruits of the labor early, you want a guy that can also turn that into winning and knows how to manage winning and, and people uh, towards a championship. So I, let, let's hope that the Raptors have the right guy because it looks like he's able to do both. Again, thanks to Popeye Jones for joining us on the show this week. Carl English and Eric Hasseltine for producer Austin Mackey and Paul Jones. I'm Eric Smith. Thanks again for tuning in to Smith and Jones.